Well, we have the highest honor to have Dr. Michael Brown with us for the last 25 years or so. He has been a distant but fatherly voice to me, buying his cassette tapes in the early days and taking his classes and being in his mentoring class. Uh, he has been nothing short of that, but a fatherly voice to me. Uh, in 1997, quick story, I was born again and had a real hard time reading the Bible and keeping an interest in the Bible. Uh, again, I was born again in the Browns Revival, but Dr. Brown, one night, 1997, he put his his hand on my stomach at, at, at the nighttime when the bodies would be flying everywhere and people would be getting blasted by the presence of the Spirit. He touched my stomach and he said, hunger. And something happened to me that day. And I remember the next day I read the book of Genesis. I couldn't put the Bible down. There was an insatiable hunger for the Word of God. I had something shift in my life that day when Dr. Brown prayed for me. And I found that in the scriptures are the kisses of God. I realized that God's love is applied to my soul by the Word of God. So that's the subject for today. The, the scripture that I picked to start us out is uh, Proverbs 13, 13. He who despises the word or thinks little of the word will be indebted to it. So it's very important, I think, that uh, the scriptures have a, a deep a deep place in our heart. So Dr. Brown, thanks so much for coming on, first of all. Glad to be with you, and thanks for sharing that story. <laughs> so first of all, uh, why is it important to actually read the Bible? Well, this is, this is fundamentally how we know God. This is fundamentally how we know who he is and what he requires of us and what he promises us. Uh, outside of the written word, uh, things break down in many ways. In other words, how do, how do we know about Jesus? How do we know about his death and his resurrection, his character, his teaching? How do we know about creation? How do we know about God's dealing with Israel through history? How do we know what he's promised us? If you just look to tradition, there are endless different traditions and endless different uh, human opinions and all kinds of speculation. But this is the fundamental revelation. Second Timothy 3.16 reminds us that, that all scripture is given by divine inspiration. It's, it's literally God-breathed. Jesus referred to it as, as the scriptures that could not be broken. Hebrews 4 speaks of the word of God as being living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the very depths of our, our being. Moses wrote down everything God said. The king was to have it uh, a scroll of the Lord written for himself to, to recite on a regular basis. Uh, we know that Joshua, when he was going to, to take the promised land after the death of Moses and everything hanging on him, God tells him in Joshua 1.8 not to let the book of the Torah depart from his mouth. He was to meditate, which meant recite, repeat, speak it day and night. Then he would do what was written. Then he would succeed. The, the man that is truly blessed and that bears fruit in every season, whose leaf never, never withers, is the man, according to Psalm 1.3, who takes his delight in, in, in the word of the Lord and again meditates on it day and night. Jesus said to, to his father, your word is truth. The psalmist in Psalm 119 said that he had hidden the word of God in his heart so that he might not sin against him. We can go on and on and on. Proverbs 4, verses 20 to 22 tell us not to let the words of God out of our sight and, and that they are life to those who find them and health to the whole being. 
Paul said in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So these are the foundations. Jesus in John 15.7 says, if you remain in me, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, then ask what you will, and it'll be given to you. So much uh, error that creeps in the body, so much deception, so much personal error and deception. These things creep in when we get away from having the word of God in our heart, in our mind. This is the blueprint. This is the foundation. Everything flows out of that and connects us rightly with God. And then our prayer lives, our worship lives, our, our lives of service will all be in right order. Do I remember correctly that in your early days, you were memorizing 20 scriptures a day? Yeah, by the time I was saved about a year, I was just so hungry for the word of God. I, I would read the scriptures two hours a day and memorize scripture for one hour a day and was able to do that uh, 20 verses a day. Uh, so I would memorize for an hour. And then when I would pray in the spirit, I would meditate on the verses I had memorized when you know, walking down the street to a bus stop, you know, or driving in my car, I would quote scripture. So it, it was constantly before me in my heart and mind. And that really helped lay a foundation for the rest of my life because I was, before I started working a full-time job that first summer, uh, when I was 18 years old, uh, I had memorized probably about 4,000 verses and read the Bible cover to cover about five times in the first uh, couple of years I was saved. So it, it laid a great foundation. So you've talked about meditating on the word. You've talked about reading the word. How important is it to study the word? And is that different? Yeah. So we, we need the, the worm's eye view and the bird's eye view. <laughs> so reading the word, it could be once a year that you just read through the Bible. Um, because I've, I've done so much study over the years, sometimes I've gotten away from just reading through it. So I'll, I'll periodically just get back on a plan to remind myself to read X amount of scripture per day. Right now, I'm in the midst of something I've done a few times, which is the Bible in 90 days. So you read a bunch of chapters, you go pretty quickly, and maybe you make a mental note here and there. Okay, I want to come back, review this, look at this. But this just gives you the overview. You don't just get caught up on one subject. You don't lose uh, aspects of, of the character and nature of God. You don't have whole portions of scripture that you don't see for years and years at a time. So just reading through the word, it's familiarity, it's broad ranging. And then on any given day, God might speak to you through the portion that you're reading. Uh, and and it, it, it's like eating a healthy diet in that regard. Um, study is also super important because the word of God is incredibly rich and incredibly deep. And for example, my doctoral dissertation at New York University, it's a secular university and a secular uh, dissertation, but it was on the Hebrew word for healing. And I, I dove into that for a couple of years of intensive study, looking at every verse, looking at cultural background, looking at related uh, words in, in other languages, other Semitic languages and things like that. Uh, so there's, there's something that you discover you know, it, it's like spending quality time with an individual, you know, and, and you're, you're engaged to your spouse and you, you know, you're spending hours and talking and finding out more about them and, and things like that. And it, one question leads to another, leads to another. So you, you, you may want to really dig in and understand when Paul talks about righteousness, what does he mean? Or, or in what sense is Jesus the, the word? of God, as John speaks of in the, in the prologue, in the first chapter. 
Uh, you might just want to study one book and you spend months and months studying, studying Matthew or something like that. Um, there, there's just so much inviting us there, whether you want to dig into the Hebrew or the Greek, whether you're just comparing one verse with another, whether you are using commentaries and things like that. Uh, I've written a commentary on Jeremiah, then a commentary on Job, and I'm in the midst of a commentary on Isaiah now. And you could, you could spend months, if you want, just on a few verses, because there's so much in there. There's so many treasures. Uh, for those that, that aren't able to read Hebrew and, and Greek well, then there are just so many different translations that you can compare multiple translations. I'm talking about good, reliable translations and see, okay, where do they say things the same way? Where do they differ? Why is that the case? And dig deeper. And then all along, it's not just an intellectual exercise. That's where some people get off track. They get so theological, so intellectual that they lose sight of God, that it just becomes an intellectual exercise, very, very, very similar to just learning chemistry or biology or, or physics or something else. So we always need to remember that it's God's word we're studying and pray for insight and revelation. But some of the most important things I understand and teach and preach came from intensive study of scripture. So you've touched on meditation on the word, reading the word, study of the word, and you just actually said something that I wanted to touch on revelation yeah. of the word. So what what is the distinction between, oh, I understand that now, and actual revelation? I would look at revelation a couple of different ways. One is when the text that you've always understood hits you between the eyes. <laughs> where you, it's not like you learned a new meaning. Mm. It's not like you discovered that this word should actually be translated this way or that way. Instead, it's, it's that you, uh, it, it hits home. Mm. It, it's, it's, it would be like in times of revival that you're at a church service and you run out of the building and you call your friends, Jesus is alive. Jesus, we, we all know that. No, 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 he's really alive. It's like, we all know that. No, you yeah. don't know it. So it's, it's like the scales fall off. That's one way. The other is insights where you see things you never saw before. Now, I don't, I don't mean in some crazy way where you're reading things into the text that don't exist. Mm. I don't mean in some dangerous way where we're mistaking the thoughts of our own mind for divine truths. But Psalm 119, verse 18, the psalmist prayed, open my eyes. It's literally un uncover, unveil my eyes that I might behold wonders from your Torah, from your teaching. Um, in Luke 24, after the resurrection, Jesus gets with his 11 disciples, and it says he opened their minds that they might understand the scriptures. So there is that unveiling, that revealing where maybe you're a Jewish person and you've read Isaiah 53 uh, at different times over your life, and now you read it again, and suddenly your eyes are open and you see as clear as day, it's speaking of the Messiah who died for our sins and who rose from the dead, who took our guilt. We thought he was dying for his sins. Instead, he was dying for our sins. So th those are some of the different ways that we get revelation. Again, sometimes it's a verse that we've known but the meaning of it grabs us. The truth of it grabs us. And in that sense, again, Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active. 
and 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 it it does pierce deeply. It can bring us under intense conviction. It can change our direction. And then there are those times where you're reading a passage, you've read it over and over, the light goes on. I, I remember reading in Jeremiah 7 when I was working on my commentary, and that's the famous passage where God asks his sinning people, what, do you, you think my temple is like a den of thieves? And we know that Jesus quotes it and says, you, you've, you've turned my house into a house of robbers, into a den of thieves. Well, what struck me, and I, I'd read the Jeremiah passage many times, I'd read the words of Jesus many times, but what struck me was this, in Jeremiah 7, what, what God is saying is, you know, you lie, you steal, you do all these ungodly things, and then you think you just come into my temple and you're safe. What does this become, a den of thieves? Well, what's a den of thieves? That would be a cave where the thieves would go after they committed their robbery and the thievery, and they go hide there, and they were safe because no one saw them there. And, and he said, what, you, you think, is, is my temple like a den of thieves to you? You commit all these ugly crimes and you come into my temple and now you're safe? He goes, I see. Well, Jesus actually takes it one step further when he says you've made it into a den of thieves by saying you're actually committing your acts of thievery in the temple. So it's, it's an even stronger indictment. He wasn't just quoting the words. He was quoting them with a, with a sharper application. So, I mean, there are things like that. You, you've read it and, and then a, a deeper light goes on. And then again, those passages where you see things you've never seen or you get nailed with the truth of it. And it can, it can often be life-changing. I've often said that the Bible is the only book that demands the author be present when it's read. Do you believe that's the role of the Spirit with the Word of God? Yes, uh, absolutely. Even though the words on the page can be understood, right? The Holy Spirit has to bring them home to us. And, and we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So if we just read the word in a devotional way before the Lord, in other words, not just while you're running around doing something else, having, having the Bible app read scripture to you while you're reading the newspaper, you know, or watching TV, but just simply giving yourself to it, then the Spirit certainly is, is present. But it's always good to ask God, Lord, open my heart, open my mind, give me retention, or help me to digest this, or speak something fresh to me. Because everything happens out of our relationship with God. And think, there are, there are some cults that add extra books, like the Book of Mormon with the Mormons, but they read the Bible too. Obviously, Book of Mormon is their key thing for insight, and, and that's why they're a cult. Jehovah's Witnesses they use other books to help them understand the Bible, but they read the Bible too, and, and yet they have a terrible translation, and they read it with spiritual blinders on. Second uh, Corinthians 3, Paul talks about the Jewish community, of whom he had said in Romans 10, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, and, and said that there's a veil when they read the Torah. It, it doesn't mean in every way, but when it comes to the Messiah, when they turn to the Lord, the veil is removed, and, and what does Paul attribute that to? The Spirit spirit who brings liberty. So just like Jesus in Luke 4 quotes from Isaiah 61 saying the spirit was on him to preach and to set the captives free, the same way that that spirit speaking to us through the word and working through the word writes it on our hearts, uh, gives us the power to live it out, gives us insight, gives us revelation. 
So, so again, when we hear the word revelation, some people are scandalized by it, especially our non-charismatic friends, because they think that whatever we believe we're hearing is somehow equal to the word of God. Now, there is only one, the word of God. Anything that we get, if the Lord speaks to you, take this job here or move here or go into this ministry or share the gospel with this person, that's a word from the Lord to be tested individually, and it's not of universal application. But the word of God tests us, and the word of God is of universal application. And we're asking God, Lord, open up the truths of your word that we can know you better and follow you more carefully. I remember reading Andrew Murray said, in prayer, we ascend to God and in the word, God descends to us. Do you, do you find that you hear God's voice in reading the scriptures? Oh, yes, uh, abs- absolutely. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a, a critic of the charismatic movement uh, named Justin Peters, Yes. Uh, he and I have interacted, uh, spent some time talking on the phone, interacted via email. So we have very, very different views on different things very, very deeply. But of course, he, he's a brother in the Lord. And when, when he's challenging charismatics, there's one of his quotes, uh, if, if you want to hear the voice of God audibly, then read the Bible out loud. <laughs> so it's, it's a quote I appreciate. Uh, uh, and of course, I'm not looking to hear the, the audible voice of God. In any case, he speaks in so many different ways to us. Uh, and there are times we know it's entirely separate from the scripture. The Holy Spirit will give us a word, you know, minister to this person prophetically or, or pray for this one because they're going through a crisis and, and they're accurate and they're proven. And Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. So there's that ongoing fellowship that we have. Second Corinthians 13, 14 speaks of our fellowship, right? Koinonia with the Holy Spirit. So of course he speaks, leads, moves in our lives in, in many, many different ways. But absolutely, I've, I've heard the voice of God loudly and clearly shouting through the scriptures. Uh, there, there are times when a scripture on a seemingly totally different subject answers a question I've been wrestling with directional question. And it's, it's kind of hits from a totally different angle, but it gets me thinking in the right direction. And, and, and then I get insight or it could just be the truths of scripture. I, I remember in the early nineties when I wrote whatever happened to the power of God, which came out in, in 91, that I was reading through Leviticus and I was, as I was reading through Leviticus and reading about the requirements for priests, for example, and they had to be physically without defect. God was trying to teach something about approaching him. You, you couldn't bring an animal that was defective. So if a priest was a hunchback or if a priest had some other type of bodily defect, and it is a long list, they couldn't come before God. Now, obviously, it was a, a, a physical truth to teach a spiritual lesson about God wanting us to be blameless in his service. But I remember reading some of those verses and about God's judgment coming in Leviticus, and they were jumping off the page at me in terms of the call to holiness, the call to purity, the reality of the fact that you don't mess with God's holiness or trivialize or minimize God's holiness. And and it was life impacting, you know, those truths of scripture. So that's happened at different times, reading the word, meditating on scripture, praying over scripture, and it's like fire uh, 
I remember during a, a powerful outpouring in 82, 83, where God got hold of me dramatically and, and renewed me in my first love and, and sent an outpouring through me to a church that was barely even charismatic. And reading through Jeremiah 23, beginning verse 9, the longest passage in the Bible about false prophets, I, I was literally shaking and trembling on the inside as, as, as I read it, just staggered by the holy words of God and the unholy words of the false prophets. It, it was another formative thing in my life. That's why I can remember it all these decades later. Uh, so absolutely, aside from just the general everyday, God speaking to us through his word as we're reading it and we're reminded of things, there are those times where, where it hits with special force and it's as if God himself is shouting in your ears at that moment. I was listening to your message on Samson the other day. And you said, we need to value what God values. And you said, God values one who esteems his word, trembles at his word, or God esteems the one who trembles at his word. Would you say that what you just shared is an example of trembling at God's word? Uh, yes. And of course, those are the words of Isaiah. It's not building him a, a, a massive palace or temple or something like that. Or look at all the money I've given to the kingdom or look at how well I, how eloquent I am when I preach. But right, reverencing God and, and trembling at his word. Ultra-Orthodox Jews today are called Haredim, which literally means tremblers. And it's from that very verse that the concept comes of people who, who tremble at, at the word of God. We tend to trivialize the word rather than tremble at, at the word of God. We tend to minimize the, the, the centrality of Scripture. You know, I remember uh, Keith Green's song, you, you Love the World and You're Avoiding Me. And sometimes I've rebuked myself with the words of it. You know, my words, it's there upon your desk, but you love your books and magazines the best. And, uh, you know, books and updated today, if we don't read magazines, whatever it is that we're reading online. And I'll sit there. It's like, why are you reading this instead of the words? So it's not a legalism, but it's a recognition that there's a spiritual battle. And it's not just a spiritual battle to read the scriptures, but to read the word reverently. You know, think if, think if a discovery was made and, and we discovered words of Jesus that we could verify actually came from him, but were not recorded in the Bible. But we actually found there were words of Jesus and everybody studied them and looking at them and amazed by them. And well, we have his words. We have his words. I remember, uh, you know, your habit of writing down quotes. Uh, if, if I'm correct, did we meet at a pizza hut? Yeah, yes. In North Carolina. Okay, yeah. I, I remember. You know, as I'd be writing, things, we'd be talking. Oh, that's good, and, and you'd write it down. But but you've done that with others as well. Well, how much how much more do we esteem the words of God? I mean, what if what if you had a face to face audience with God, so to say? You know, in his in his veil of glory, he comes in the room and for five minutes, he says, okay, Eric, we're going to tell you in the next five minutes is essential for how you live the rest of your life. I mean, you would, you'd be hanging out every word, write it. Just can, can I get that? And, and every day you'd read it, you'd study, well, how much more what we know that we know God has given us in his written word. So yeah, with, with reverence, with, with respect, with joy, with anticipation. We read it. Uh, you know, my wife, Nancy, uh, had a special season of seeking God years back 
where she was determined to know him in a way she never had before. And she wrote out hundreds of verses, printed them out, having to do with the character of God and his goodness and his holiness and his grace. And literally every day for months, she would read through all of the verses, plus other scriptures she'd be reading, and then hours of prayer. But every day, it was as if she had never read the verses before. She would turn the page like, oh, oh, he's amazing. And then she would just, in her own reading, just go to the Gospels. And the moment she'd start to read about Jesus, she'd weep and weep profusely. I, I would come into a room where she had been praying, and, and literally every day, the, the, waste, the uh, waste paper basket was just was filled with tissues because she just weep overwhelmed every day. This, the, it was, again, you, know, you think of Revelation 4 and the elders before the throne, right? That they say, holy, 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 they cast down the crowns. And it seems to be a repeated process. And I always imagined it that, you know, they, they, they cast the crowns down, they worship, and then it's like, okay, let's get the crowns back in place. And then they look up like, oh, you're, they're just overwhelmed again at, at who he is. They get another fresh glimpse and all they can do is worship. Well, their treasures in the word. The, the, the truths of God are, are there and, and, and awaiting our discovery. If you read Proverbs 2 and 3 and 4, it talks about the digging and that searching. And, and that's, that's who God will reward. You know, the, the treasures are found, the gold, silver, precious stones, as Leonard Ravenel used to say, they're hidden under the ground. Wood, hay, stubble, they're available in an abundance. But gold, silver, precious stones, they're hidden. They're underground. You've got to search for them. And, and when you do, the treasures are worth it forever. So 25 years ago, you prayed for me. A hunger came upon me that lasted even in cold seasons of my life. I still had a desire for the Word of God. Will you please pray for the people and I am believing that God will do for them what happened through you to me 25 years ago. Yeah. Father, this is all you. We're asking you for something that is in accordance with your will and in harmony with your word. I ask you for everyone listening, watching, supernaturally increase their hunger for your word and your truth. You said in your word, if we draw near to you, you'll draw near to us. Lord, we repent of indifference. We repent of laziness. We repent of carnality. We repent of all the things that take us away from your word. We repent of indifference. And we ask you for fresh hunger, for fresh thirst, for fresh desire to know you better through your word, to love you more through your word to serve you more carefully through your word. Give us a deep, lasting, abiding hunger and thirst for your word in the life of your spirit. And as we take one step, take a step towards us. As we obey today, give us a greater hunger for tomorrow. And may it be lasting in each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you so much, Doc. Oh, my, my joy. My joy. Hey, the good thing is I convicted myself too to, to dig in more, <laughs> that there are more treasures waiting to be discovered. That's terrific.